Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Big Gym Show is sponsored by Maul and Brawl. Maul and Brawl is the best men's skin and beard care products on the market right now. Maybe. How do I know? Because it's mine. 100% owned by me, tried and tested by me. Whether you've been mauling in the office or brawling in your bed, Maul and Brawl is for you. We've got a shower gel which is scented dark honey and tobacco. The moisturiser has a scent of ivory musk and the beard oil will make your beard feel smooth and silky and smelling like whiskey. It comes in three packages. The Simple Man, which is the shower gel. The Modern Man, which is the shower gel and the moisturiser. Or... The Caveman, which is the shower gel, moisturizer, and beard oil. To order, go to maulandbrawl.com and type in the code BIGGYM10 for 10% off. Maul and Brawl, for men that maul. Big Jim is wearing his heels. He's like, bro, there's like 40 cops out there. <laughs> and they said, like, dog units and stuff to get me and I walk out of the house and I'm like what's going on and they're like get on the floor and I'm like I have really bad hips I can't get (laughs) (laughs) and googled how do you do it you know how do you how do you hang yourself or how do you do this and I got the curtains and I did it the first night drinking ayahuasca in the jungle blew my mind I was like this is this is like the last time times a thousand on this episode I'm joined by a wonderful human a lad that I had many battles against on the rugby field a wild story an amazing story it's the wonderful powerful Ryan Caldwell Studio's cool. This place Look, is great. It's We're unreal. It. Yeah, Spotify have been I gonna, amazing. I was going to put my hair up. I haven't cut my hair, bro, in three years after a mushroom journey. Well, we can get on to <laughs> talking about mushrooms. I'm keen as mustard for it. I just don't know if I trust myself. But bro, you got to do it. Is that hair all yours? Ah, oh, bro. Every, all of it? All of it. <laughs> Love it. See, all of it. Let's have a look. Mine. I'm growing mine, actually. Oh, uh, my hair, yeah. Yeah. I'm loving it. I, <laughs> Thanks, bro. I actually love the look. Like I think I'm I'm enjoying it. Like Thanks it's, so it's I, risky. It is. So we both have had tattoos for years. You've gone even further. You've gone <laughs> neck and you've gone face. But actually, I like the look. Thanks, bro. You comfortable with it? Yeah. Like this is something that, like, over the last few years, where I used to be so self conscious. Mm about what I looked like, what other people were thinking about me, what I thought other people were thinking about me. And now I'm like, I let all that go. And I've, because I realized that that was costing me so much happiness, bro. Mm. You know, let living my life that way. So then I just was like, you know what? 
just do whatever. Yeah. Just, you know what I mean? I just never cut my hair anymore. Well, you look, I'm looking at you on screen. You've got to look, but actually when I've seen you and I've seen you on social media, not that that is a great conveyance of how someone is or how they look, but I like the look. I think you look cool. Thanks, bro. shit. Thanks, bro. I'm going to start with an apology because um, we can go deep to start yeah. with. I mean, for the listeners who who don't know, and we can get into your journey, our relationship that we had. So me and you had some wonderful games of rugby yeah. against each other. Uh, we both retired. Your career was cut short. I was, <clears throat> what age did you retire at? 30. Yeah, so 30. So yeah, you, your career was cut short. I got to 34, and then we both go on our own paths, and we yeah. go into this world of transition. It yeah. some, means something a little bit different now, but back in then it was transitioning from rugby player yeah. into the real world. And I heard about your story yeah. and I never reached out. And we just met in the green room there and had a big cuddle. I should have yeah. done that a long time ago. So apologies for that. bro. And I know we've been messaging back and forth yeah. for the last year and we're connected in that way. Yeah. But I do, like, I did think about you lots. Yeah, when I appreciate I, that. I, I, I was hearing stuff. I was chatting to Stevie Ferris and for whatever reason, I didn't reach out earlier and I'm... Bro, it's all good. Like this is everything that's happened. That's what I come deny is it's it's brought me to where I'm at. Mm. So it's all been perfect, and I know as well. Like we've all got our everyone's got their own life. We've all got our own stuff going on. Yeah, but still, there is this unwritten brotherhood. Yeah, I think amongst yeah. people that have played the game that we've played. Yeah, and there's a couple of other lads that are. I'm not saying that you're struggling, but you did struggle after. There's a couple of lads that I've reached out to and yeah. one in particular that went through a really tough time. And I know by me reaching out and just showing the love yeah. and the support and the understanding, right, yeah. is, is important. So we had a nice embrace and, was, yeah. and I felt the energy. Appreciate it, bro. How are you now? How, how is How are things? How's life? Top of the world. Mm. Things are just going at the moment from strength to strength for... Like for me, for my family, like I had a wee girl there, six months old, Rhea. Congratulations. Yeah, and she's just amazing. And Tara's a, a, an amazing mother. Like she makes it so easy. Like Rhea's a dream, Tara's a dream. Life's just going great. And that's not to say that like, course there's ups and downs every day in life, but the big picture's looking, looking good. Well, that's amazing to hear. Let's go back. Let's go back yeah. to the playing days. I kind of referenced it at the start yeah. there. Both very similar players, right? Yeah. And listening to part of your story and also unpicking my story as well and learning more about myself. When I say we were very similar, we had this kind of caricature, alpha male, almost like a pantomime villain yeah. style approach to the game. And I've spoken about this Publicly, I've spoken about it to a few people. I've also watched some incredibly sad documentaries. There's one in particular, actually. I just mentioned it to a good mate of mine, Dominic Sylvester, the owner of Saracens, who's into his ice hockey. It's called Ice Guardians, mm -hmm. where they have the goons. Yeah. They have the fighters within the team, and that's it. They're not the best hockey ice hockey players. They're the, they're the fighters. Mm -hmm. And some really sad stories out of that around tra them transitioning, mm -hmm. trying to find out who they are, but also yeah. living with that. I don't know whether they would call it a burden, but the way that we played the game, mm. the physicality, that was our part. Not mm. saying that you weren't talented or I wasn't mm. gifted or talented, yeah. but we almost played up to it. And that's where our relationship was, right? When yeah. we played. So 
let's just go through the archives a little bit about your yeah. career. Maybe you can just start and then how you got into that point of being that enforcer on the pitch. Uh, it's funny one, because like, I guess like just being big at school, you know, like it was like I started playing rugby when I was like 10. Okay, so I went down, a couple of my friends were playing, I went down, you know, played at Malone Rugby Club, and then went in the secondary school, went to a really good rugby school. Starting into that school, it's like once you get to about third third year, fourth year of school, it, the rugby's starting to get really serious. Once you get that name of being like the big rugby player or whatever, you do sort of unconsciously sort of start to mould yourself towards that. You, you start to be that guy. You start to, you know, play up to that, like you say, like almost a pantomime villain type thing. And I guess I sort of had that name of being sort of abrasive at school level. But then when I went left, it was like, right, I've got to really prove something now. I was trying to prove to everybody that I was like the tough guy, mm. especially when I went on after school towards like first level, club level, getting into the Ulster squad early. And then I suppose my discipline at that time as well, playing when I was younger, was not the best. You know, it was like, you're right, it's playing up to that label. That's not me at all. Mm. Like, and it's taken me all this time in life to be all right with being just not the, not the tough guy. Like, I don't have anything to prove anymore. Yeah. And it feels like a massive weight off my shoulders now. But I felt like it almost took me to be looking at it from to get out of it, to know that that's not who it was yeah. all that time. I think for, for us at that time, and I say that time, it's not so long ago, but it kind of is a long time ago when you mm. look how far rugby's come. I was thinking about some of our interactions, you at Bath, Vibes, me at yeah. Gloucester, you know, and it was just, it was, fuck, it was good. Yeah, you know, it was, it was good. It like, was. I remember that. The, the Derby, the day yeah. we both got sent off. Yeah, exactly. I think, we, yeah, we, we both got sent off, didn't yeah. we? We both got sent to the <laughs> yeah. bin. And there wasn't a huge it was amount literally, that happened. It was literally like the first two minutes of the game. Yeah. I mean, th they were great. And I, when I look back on it, I, I, it's almost like it didn't happen. Yeah, it's so strange. Because there's a part of me, and people will listen to me now, and they've heard the rugby pod with Goody. So, like, for me growing up, th that was it. I had to fight. So I had to fight, yeah. like, physically and I had to graft, but like physically I had to fight to get where I needed to get to. Yeah. I grew up in a referral. So that was in there. Not that me and you were fighting, but we were grabbing. Yeah. But you know, so the aggressive, aggressive alpha was in me. Yeah. It was. But one thing now looking back and we're laughing about that one interaction, there was a number, I know you mm. had a number with other players. I had lows with other players as well. And people were like, well, what are you like now? Like, are you aggressive at home? Like, I'm not at all. Like, wow. I, and so that makes me realise and understand that there was this front. And again, watching Ice Guardians, they talk about, the goons talk about it, where they're not like that all the time, but no. you step over the white line. And that's it. The expectation is there that yeah. you've got to go and fuck someone up, whatever yeah. that looks like. And whether that's stamping, fighting, counter-rucking, yeah. judas in players, awful like place yeah. to be. And for me, it became very exhausting. Like I found it quite it tiring, does. like mentally, to yeah. deal with when I was playing. Because you turn up to a game on a Saturday, you know, but you have to. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you're taking that pitch. You're like, right, I have to go out here with this persona. Mm, it's the persona. It's the mask, you know. Exactly. And then it's like, but then it's hard 
when when you're in those sort of as you're you flip you were British lamb should have been you weren't a British lamb I got injured I got oh, injured right, not okay. it should have been so do you know what I mean though but like when you're especially in places like Bath or and even in, in Belfast and Ulster it's very small and then almost everybody almost thinks it because they watch you playing rugby or because they read about you in the paper and everybody knows you then you're like God. You don't know me. You don't. You know. And like, there's a lot of pressure in rugby. Mm. Like God, I don't even know what it would be like for players now. You know, with all like so much social media and all. But there's a lot of pressure in rugby. You know, to to be a certain way. And you know, just that when people are always looking at you. We would have been famous back in the day if there was social media because yeah. we would have blown up on the memes and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. with all these cool musics and edits <laughs> and stuff like that. That's what I keep telling myself. Um, how many caps did you get? Two. And the reason why I'm asking, like, you're not just sat here, like, having played a bit of rugby. Yeah. As in, at the highest level. Yeah. And we're going to go through, like, your story to go and to have been where you've been, to go to where you've gone to, yeah. then to come out of that. It, I think, is one of the most unbelievable and remarkable stories I've ever heard in rugby. Yeah. I, like, I, I, yeah. Sometimes, like, you know, it takes somebody to actually say that to you. Mm-hmm. Because the amount of people now have come to me and be like, bro, that that's that's an unbelievable story. Like people have no idea. That not enough people know about. And that's why I wanted to have you yeah. on. Not that I've got millions and millions of <laughs> yeah, no, listeners no, no, and yeah. followers, hopefully one day, and this is gonna live in the archives. Yeah. But I I have let's go through it. When did it start to turn? I guess I well rugby let's talk touch on that sort of first, just the way it's playing out in my head now. So it's I started off at Ulster, moved over to Bath for, I was in Bath, what, three years? And again, when I was in Bath, it was like a, I was married before and that marriage broke down and left Bath and started Exeter and went down the Exeter on my own, you know? But even like, even saying that like when I was at Bath, I had a really good first year at Bath, like really, really good under Ian McGeekin and... I think that sort of went to my head a wee bit when the marriage and that broke down. It was like, right, okay. It was like this sense of like, right, I'm free. Like, like family moved back to Belfast and I was over here. I was on my own. So then I started going out in Bath and like, even in Bath, like I was, I was dabbling a wee bit in like class A drugs, cocaine. And then I moved down to Exeter and I just, continued like I was taking cocaine when I was playing at Exeter just never got obviously caught or drug tested but it wasn't every weekend but it would have been like the odd time um, <clears throat> and then obviously injuries got concussed in a European Cup game against La Rochelle and that was it that was the last game of rugby I played so then it was like moving back to Belfast from Exeter and I'd been out of the rugby circles in, in Northern Ireland, Belfast, for so long. So I didn't really have a support network as such there. And I didn't really have, I'd moved away from Exeter, so they couldn't really keep in touch with the boys that were here. So I sort of went back to Belfast, I sort of been on my own. And I was living with my sister. Um, and her, like, she had a young family at that stage, and I was just living in her spare room. I had no house, because I lost everything through the divorce. Like apartments, house, everything was gone. Nothing to fall back on. And I just, I'd had a bit of money like that Exeter had given me as a bit of a, like, like a, 
severance package, whatever you want to call it, for my retirement. And I just started to like smash my way through that with like partying and like again, it was running away from everything that was that was was going on in my life. You know, like at that time. Like so I was really struggling like with my identity, you know, I, I felt like I was this rugby player for so long. That's that's the big rugby player. And then now it was like, I'm not that anymore. So then I was like, right, who am I? Didn't really have a clue who I was. I had no prospects of what I was doing going forward. And then I started to fall in with guys who would be going out on the weekends and meeting people on weekends and going out. And then I guess maybe my image, they liked that image of me at that time, you know, short hair, tattoos everywhere, muscles, like, you know, I just sort of fell in with these guys and like, and like not saying that they're bad guys, like they weren't bad guys, but what they were doing, they're lost too, you know, they were lost as well. And they just go down these wrong ways of doing things like, you know, so money was though, I'm like, right, how can I get money? So I started to get involved with selling bits of, of start off cannabis or going and picking up cocaine for somebody and dropping it somewhere else or you know, things like this. And then again, as you get more further into it, it's like, this is all happening and I'm not really. And before you know it, you've gone so far and you're like, how the heck did this happen? You know? So <clears throat> that started to go down. I got down in there really like just a really low vibration existence where I was just taking a lot of drugs and selling bits of drugs to get by. And then, had no direction and so ended up I got arrested I was starting to get in a bit of trouble with police getting lifted for different things possession of class A drugs or you know possession of cannabis and things like that and I was going down and every time I was going down in the Musgrave station which is like in Belfast city centre and it was happening more and more often and there was one incident where I'd crashed my car and drove away because I was under the influence at the time and I got to my house and like I knew the police would be coming so like I threw my phone because my phone had loads of like evidence so I threw my phone into the bushes threw my car keys away and like ran (laughs) I don't know what I was doing bro like this was all under the influence you know Mm. running to my friend's house and like trying to hide out there for a while and we were in his house and he was like, bro, you're going to have to go outside. And I was like, why? And he's like, looking out the window. And he's like, bro, there's like 40 cops out there. Drug, dogs, guys with rat gear on, all looking for me because they've heard reports. This guy's massive. He's like, mm. you know, and they sent like dog units and stuff to get me. And I walk out of the house and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, get down get on the floor and I'm like I have really bad hips I can't get because <laughs> I, I was waiting on hip replacements you know I'm like god I, I can't get on the floor if I get on the floor I can't get back up and they're like get down and I was like right okay Fuck. and then uh, you know went and then ended up not being able to get because I've been in so much trouble right with the law over the the year before that, but not so much trouble, but just loads of little things, like loads of little court appearances with possession of drugs or different things, right? 
So then they were like, you're not getting a, a county court date. You're you're going to have to wait on high court. So you're going to have to go to McGabry Prison and wait your time there and on remand until you can go in. And I ended up being there for the first time. I think it was like four weeks. And it was the first night. No, it was the second time I was there. That And the first night, the second time I was there, <clears throat> I tried to take my own life um, in, the, in, the, in the prison. I was in a cell of my own and uh, the I just remembered sitting there and like at this stage I was on withdrawals from like tablets. I was taking like codeine tablets, opiates, you know, and that all started through the pains, right? But then I got really addicted to these things. So I was having, I was sitting in the cell and I was like having withdrawals from them and I was having withdrawals coming down off cocaine, you know, all this stuff and worried about my life, I was sitting saying to myself, I was like, God, like, how has my life got here? Like, this is me now. You know, I didn't think that there was any way of me getting out of that situation. Rock bottom. Rock bottom, bro. Like, and I knew it was coming for a while. Like, this isn't just over a course of a couple of months. This was like a good while that this had all been building up. How long exactly? So from when so you retired? i say I retired and say, like, I would have been in jail, I'd say, a year and a half, two years after. <sighs> You know, it was a really quick spiral, mm. but it was like, like, like what I was saying, it's like these, you just go on and go on and then until you poke your head up and say, hang on, how did I get here from where I was? You know, I had a family and good career and like everything. I had a house, I had apartments, I had, you know, everything I'd ever wanted, you know, but I, like, I think deep down, I still wasn't, I didn't still hadn't found that real happiness that I want, that I've been searching for, you know. And then when all that left, it was just a big, you know, like a huge dump of like, God, what's, what is this? You know, so then that rock bottom and that cell, and that's what I, I got like uh, the curtains off the thing. And I'd looked up on how to do this before, you know, like I'd looked. I'd googled how do you do it, you know? How do you, how do you hang yourself, or how do you do this? And I got the curtains and I did it. <clears throat> and I next thing I woke up on the floor with like four guards over me, and they had resuscitated me and brought me back around. And the guy who had said the guy who was the the s the, the officer in charge that night said that he was sitting on the computer like he does every night he's like for some reason he goes something just told me to come down and check this cell and he said he opened the thing and he, i was just hanging off the the bunk and he came in and like resusc resuscitated me and like that's like when he told me that as well like it's like that just wasn't my time you know that wasn't because like I had all this stuff to do, you know what I mean? Mm, but you wanted it to be your time. It, it, yeah. I mean, because you hear That's the cry for help. I mean, yeah, it, it's more than that. It was more than that because like I was literally on my on my own. Like I was ready. I was gone. I said the guy said the next morning, they they brought me in to like you know there was a nurse and the head sort of officer, and they were like, um, "How do you feel today?" And I was like, I don't even know. I just numbed everything. And I was like, like if it had been, a, if I had had a gun, I'd have been dead. Like it wasn't a, mm -hmm. it wasn't a cry for help. It was a real deal, you know. Like I didn't want to be here no more. Mate, but, so that's so sad. But like, there's 
and this is the thing, bro. There's like, this is not just exclusive, you know. Like, this is a massive problem now for a lot of. Uh, it's huge. It's epidemic mm. level, though. Yeah. You know, for men, especially at home in Northern Ireland, it's crazy numbers. It's, I think that Northern Ireland's the highest number of suicide in the, in Europe. You know, so it's like there's there's things needing to be done, and I honestly believe that I went through this to be able to do what I'm doing now, so I can speak to guys. I can. I've got people come in to me now and speak, and I'm like, bro, I know exactly where where you are right now. I know exactly what you're going through because mm-hmm. I've been there, but you can get through it. And it's just giving people that a wee bit of knowledge and not and a wee bit of support. It's not help. It's like supporting people through ways to get themselves through it. Like that's that's my purpose now. That's what I'm really. That's my whole thing now is to help people get to where I'm at. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, it's so good that you're here. And, <laughs> yeah, and, well, and, and you can but t- I'm like, tell this story. I'm literally better than ever. That was me being broken down to, to rebuild something new. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you said there's a number of things that went into that mix. The drugs, mm-hmm. the come down, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose being dependent as well on coding. And we can yeah. talk about the issues in sport, but more so our sport in rugby with painkillers. I think bro, there's, a, there's crazy, a real issue. Bro. There's a real issue. Like I was people- speaking to a guy there a couple of weeks ago who played out in France. Big name rugby player. Mm. What do you call that club? The big super club. Oh, you've got Toulouse. Toulon. Toulon, oh yeah. Right. They were a super club. Not nice. It's Toulouse now, yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah, the big money spenders. <laughs> I'm, out of, I'm out of the loop for rugby. There's a lot of change. Yeah, somebody saw me Ireland were going to win the World Cup. I was uh, like, what? No I way. Yeah. Like, I was like, what are, the old, what are them old all blacks like these days? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this guy was telling me that his routine over there would have been train, take a couple of tamazapams or diazepams or whatever, and just go and sit and be monged out the rest of the day mm. until you train the game the next day. And I'm like, God, that's not even in existence. Like, that's not, that's that's just existing, like, to live for your training sessions and to recover in between by taking diazepam or tamazepam. Like, that's just... Yeah, it's almost like willy-nilly now. Like, when we played, we genuinely would yeah. take codeine or there's a real issue or they're not even around anymore, but I've got issues with my gut from taking diclofenac every day so they're banned now that you can't really are they yeah yeah so they've noticed or they found issues i'm one of them one of the issues where it does something to the lining of your colon because i've Um, I've heard that that, well even back playing rugby they were like you got to take these don't take these in an empty stomach Mm. they were game changers though like if you like i I mean like anything from broken bones to ligaments tendons whatever it is if i took a couple of them on an empty stomach before mm. bed. I'd wake up, bang, ready to go. Ready again. to go. But I think now it's even deeper because it's the codeine, it's the opiates, and everything you hear about it. Whether you listen, whether you read, whether you absorb information around 
addiction to opiates, yeah. they are near impossible to come off once you're on them. And oh, it's so hard. There's so many. Like you mentioned, one we, we're not going to mention names. I know very high-profile players yeah. that aren't only unnecessarily dependent on them, but they take them recreationally because it gives them a good feeling of yeah, you, you said being buzz, yeah, like it gives them a, a buzz. buzz. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, and when you've got like listen, like rug, rugby's a high pressure like situation job. Mm. It is, you know, it's not e- it's not easy. It's not like because every week. You've got to turn up. You've got to train hard. You've got to do your work. You know, you're on. You're in front of everybody. You know, every week. So it's a high pressure. And then say you've got contract renewals coming up, and say you're not like one of the biggest players in the team. So you're going to have to fight for a contract. And you've got this underlying feeling of pain. Like yeah. there is like the constant totally niggle, yeah. isn't there? You know, just yeah. that uncomfortable yeah feeling yeah of course but like when you were saying there about like the recreational use of it like you can see why players do that mm. it's a way escape that's what it is that's mm. what all these things are they're escaping from what or what's going on in the mind mm. you know so i can understand you know because that was me i started taking them for the hips right my hips were so bad like i have two hip replacements now but my hips were sore from i was like my first churchill cup was when I was 22 and that was the first time I'd really hurt my hip. My left hip went on that and it was so sore from that Churchill Cup all throughout my career. Mm. And you can even see like my running gait before the hips and then after. Like I was just, I was a different player and it was like the whole career I was like same as you. Tablets, uh, opiates, you know, cocodamols, and then I was getting cortisone injections. Like, God, I don't know how many of those I've had. I must have had about, no joke, about 20 cortisones. Mm. And people are like, how many? Like, you're only meant to have maybe a few of them in your whole life. But I was going, getting cortisone and playing. And that's how my thing started. So I started to get the, the opiates for the pain in my hips. But then it was like, God, these are actually, these are great. Like these make you feel good. Well, if you come off them, if you missed a day or a couple oh, of days, well, we now know because they are yeah. opiates that you'd be craving them. Yeah, craving them, bro. It's so dangerous. You know, the, 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 it's the, the, the big pharma medicines are the dangerous yeah, medicines, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah there's because, loads of stuff about that at the minute. But when I went out to the, the jungle, okay, that was part of my recovery. But that's what the shaman said to me then. He was like, the white medicine, right? Your big pharma medicine. He goes, it makes you feel good first, and then it'll make you feel bad after a while. It starts to deteriorate your body. It'll deteriorate your mind. You know, yes, it's taking away the pain of this, but there's you see the side effects of it. You know, you look at you take out a tablet, you get off a doctor, and you take out the the sheet and you open it up. There's like hundreds of side effects. Well, there's a global opioid. Addiction, issue. bro. Addiction right? issue it, so, that people aren't speaking about. Yeah. And it's the doctors are handing these things out, bro. What's wrong? Speak to you for five minutes. You tell them what's wrong with you. Okay, I'm going to give you these. Yeah, anxiety, depression. Like, this is a this is a really strong opiate. Mm. And really what it is, bro, is like the opiate, it's, it's just another, you know, it's the same thing as uh, people in the street taking heroin. Mm-hmm. 
only you, maybe on the opiate tablets you're more functioning, but you've still got you're you're still addicted, you know, like you're still addicted, like and I was that person, I was that addict, like I used to during that time after rugby, after when I got my hip replacements and all done, like I would have went down to places in Belfast to buy boxes of codeine on the black market you know but, yeah there was a podcast that i listened to reach recently on rich roll big shout out to rich roll he won't be listening i'm just going to get the guy's name on here he was like an ultra marathon runner uh-huh so if the listeners want to listen to it, i'll send you it it is an un, one of the most unbelievable podcasts i've ever listened to i'm going to get his name here here it is tommy rives uh-huh. tommy tommy rives so he basically was an ultra or is an ultra marathon runner. He still is. And during COVID, he was running somewhere like in the Grand Canyon training for this ultra marathon and started to feel a little bit off. And it was during COVID, so he thought he had COVID. Yeah. Anyway, I won't ruin the narrative of the story for people that want to listen to it. But basically, it wasn't COVID. He got this really rare form of cancer and was put in induced coma. Chances of survival were minimal. Yeah. He managed to survive but in the podcast, and you're like this, he talks about when he's full of drugs and full of opioids and painkillers, that he was kind of in this middle world. I'm mm. explaining it really poorly here. He explains it like as in it is shuddering, listening to him talk about being in this middle place of heaven and hell, where he's making decisions consciously in this kind of unconscious state full of painkillers about whether to reach out for his family and his kids or whether to die. Um, and him talking about these pain medications that he was on, but he also speaks about coming off them. He said it was the hardest thing he has ever had to do. And the way that he explains, it's like his brain, his nervous system is itchy. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to ruin it for people. <laughs> Tommy Rives, that's his name on the Rich Roll podcast. Yeah. If anyone explains i've not heard anyone explain the addiction to opioids and opioids i'm saying it right aren't I? Opioids, Opi yeah. opioids um opiates opioids opiates oh, it's same thing same thing yeah <laughs> um he explains it so yeah. well and i listened to this a couple of years ago and then i'm like i, I can i know i, I can see mm. not that i've had the addiction because i was aware of taking tramadol and I've spoke about on this podcast before with James Smith. So Tramadol, and I, I had someone I basically got stood on the toe in a mall. And I've said it's one of the most painful, painful things. things ever, yeah. And I've taken Tramadols and I'm literally, and I've got the drill yeah. out, like, zzz, zzz, trying to drill it, like in the middle, because the pain is that bad. <laughs> to let the pressure go. And I can't, I'm walking around like chewing my face, like I can't yeah, even I'm see. Tramadol, I know, bro. mental. Oh, shocking, bro. Yeah. And I like, was on yeah. those as well. Yeah. Like, and, and you can't even see. You're, it's it was, mental. It was, it was wild. You're in this kind of haze. And hey. I, I, I took some recently. I said I never would, but I put my back out and I was crying in bed. I didn't realize I was crying. My Mrs. Beck said, I'm sweating profusely. So I've slipped a disc in my back, reached for the drawer, some Tramadols, 2007, bang. And then I've gone into this kind of middle state of <laughs> yeah. like, I don't even know. Are you there? Are you not there? What, <sighs> what's happening? And people are taking these. Yeah. Like, lads are taking these now. I don't want to open them up, but like, it bro, is like we are bro, more. I have seen people waking up and like taking tramadol first thing in the morning. I was in like, a, I was in a relationship for a while and that's what we're both wooded on. Two tramadol and four Kodamol. 
you know, and it's just escapism, bro. It's all the time, you know. You're running from what's going on in the mind or inside, you know what I mean? Like going back to what you said, being yeah. in that jail cell, once you've been resuscitated yeah. and you're brought right around and you and you come to, yeah. like how are you? Because when you hear stories of people trying to do that and as they're going through it or if they jump yeah. off a bridge, like they realize at that moment that, yeah. They, they, they regret doing that. Yeah. How well you know that there was the the one that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived, and he said the minute he jumped or the second he jumped, yeah, it was he, like, he, he regretted it. I just wonder when you came round, was it because I, you, guess you, it cause was I a, imagine like your body get into that point of actually yeah. doing that? I, I, it's unthinkable, unimaginable, and trying to contextualize that is yeah. almost impossible. It was like, I guess maybe like a relief, you know. Because I, th I don't think, like, I don't really remember if there was any thoughts, but I remember, like, just waking up and being struggling to take a breath, you know? And then I guess, like, the next day when I was in that room with the, the nurse and that, and they asked me, you know, I was like, I felt really numb, but, like, I did feel relieved that I hadn't, you know, mm. done it. Like that that guy had saved me that was a big that was like for me a big turning point to have tr try to do that and then when i got out of jail i knew then right, i need to start trying to sort myself out you know and i needed it and i, I moved in with my mum and dad and i was on bail so when i got out of jail i was bailed but i was bailed in my mum and dad's house so i was staying with them and then it was about being with them gave me that support you know just to have people in the house all the time. It was like a safety net. The comfort, yeah. Yeah. So even like if I was to say, I'm going to go out, I would be like, no, just stay, you know, you know what I mean? And it would be all right, I'll, you know what I mean? She was sort of keeping me on the, on the straight and narrow sort of thing, you know. But uh, after that second time when I was in McGabry and then I got out, I'd started to watch like different podcasts and stuff, you know, just about like self-help and things like that. Um, not self-help, but I was watching Joe Rogan and stuff and he always had really interesting guests on and he had Graham Hancock on mm. and Graham Hancock was talking about DMT and ayahuasca and all these things, you know, these and talking about how healing they were for people, you know, because it's all the trauma we're carrying it all inside. It's mm. it's not outside, it's the energies in here, you know. So I was like, God, like, and he researched into it, and then I went down to um, an ayahuasca retreat in Ireland, in Westmeath, and went down there, and I had done like no psychedelics before like none like nothing and this guy was like he's cute and he couldn't believe it he was like you've never done anything and you're doing ayahuasca and i was like never done anything and he was like right okay so we went down and we did our weekend of ayahuasca ceremonies just to explain what ayahuasca so ayahuasca is. is like a hallucinogenic brew tea from the amazon which is like contains DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is like one of the most powerful psychedelic substances you can you can take, you can ingest, 
And is that from plant or it's from the plant? Oh, it's, it's from, from plants. Plant. Yeah. So it's from there's a vine of one tree is the vine, the ayahuasca vine, and then the other the other tree they use the leaves off. I think it's B. Capi, it's called. But they brew these two things together. So the vine contains like a, an MAO inhibitor, which allows us to digest it in our tummy. Otherwise, DMT can be smoked. But when it's smoked, it's a very, very fast experience. So it's like intense and fast. It's about 15, 20 minutes long. But it's like a complete ego dissolution. Whereas when you take DMT in ayahuasca, it's longer. Okay, so it's like four hours, five hours. And you're in this the DMT realm with God who knows what it's with. Like well, it's, even go back a step. So okay. are you in this dude's house? Are you in a warehouse? Are you in a no, so where a we, caravan? No, it was like it was like a proper retreat. Like it was like a big mansion out in Westmeath, like this big old country house. And actually Michael Jackson used to own the house. <laughs> like I swear. And I was like, What? Why is your pictures of Michael Jackson up in here? And they were like, He used to own this place before we got it. They didn't want to take him down. And history. I was like, yeah, yes, history. <laughs> Demons, but history. Yeah. So we're sitting and we did our So that weekend we started off with with Cambo. Okay, so Cambo, all these medicines, right? Now, these are the medicines. I work with these medicines now. Okay, so the first one we did was Cambo. And Cambo is a frog. It's called the Philomedusa bicolor. And it's a, it's a, a, a nocturnal tree frog that lives in the Amazon. But the sweat that comes out of the back of this frog, when you it contains dozens of these peptides which are really readily absorbed by the human body okay so it's got biopeptides which work on our our bodies and they've got neuropeptides which help work on the brain so cambo is a, a great medicine for breaking patterns breaking breaking patterns of behavior um breaking you know the patterns of thought in your mind because it's all the mind everything's your mind you know, so what we think about ourselves, that leads to on what we can think we can achieve and all this here, you know. So we limit ourselves so much with our own beliefs about ourselves, which, are, which our own beliefs are all built from our past experiences in life. You know, so if you've been through hard things, sometimes you can get beaten down and your confidence take a hit and you're like, you don't believe you can achieve these things. So Cambo is a great one for renewing your energy. So it cleanses the body, cleanses the physical body, cleanses the tummy, cleanses the intestines and the liver. But when it does that, it's also like the, the tummy is your second brain. So a lot of your emotions come from the tummy. So when you cleanse that tummy out, you're automatically straight away, you're going to start to feel lighter emotions. And it's also a great energy cleanse. So again, when we go through these things in life, uh, traumas that lead us to these addictions and things like that, it's energy in the body. That's what's making you do the things. It's the energy. Either there's a blockage somewhere or a bit of that energy from that trauma is stuck with you and you need to just let that go. And that's what Campbell does. So it gives your energy body a complete cleanse as well. And how does it do that? So you drink? No. So, oh, so you rub it on your skin? We put these small little burns on the on the arm so these are called gates um 
and the gates are what the shamans will call the gates because they everything in the jungle is it's a spirit so even like when you're in the jungle it's like the trees a spirit the rivers a spirit the sky is its own spirit you know it's all and so this frog has its own spirit which is, is the frog it. there with you no no no, no it isn't. we, no, get, so we the, get the medicine yes. sent over well when i was in the jungle they used it on the sticks, mm. but because it's you've it's, you have to go very far into the Amazon to actually meet these guys that, that harvest the frogs. They're a tribe called the Matses tribe, and they were only discovered in 1972. They only made contact with us over like less like 50 years ago, and that the Cambo's their medicine, and like Cambo was the start of my healing journey. The start of me recovering from what I what what was the addictions the it was the, that was the start of it because you were cleansed into, cleansed into, bro, into, yeah. because I know I'm big into the gut health and brain bro, health at the minute so cleansed and you know like for example like you know now we're starting to discover that we've got like heavy metals in the body you know there's build up of as I'm drinking a can of coke <laughs> you know <laughs> but you know like there's build up of these heavy metals in the body. Mm. Which have a really detrimental effect on our health, and Cambo's one of the really, really, really uh, effective things in removing heavy metals and toxins out of the body, and also heavy energy. You know, like it doesn't have to be physical. This is energy cleanse as well. Well, let's go further into that. So you're at the retreat in mm, Ireland. Yeah, you've got this Cambo medicine, and yeah. how are you applying? So that they put the gates on, okay, and then. They they'll mix the you get the the camel comes in these little sticks, so what the what the shamans in the jungle do is they'll get the the camel and sort of hold the frog, and they'll as the frog's held, it lets out a mm. sweat, and they scrape the sweat off the frog and put it on this stick, and then when you get it over here, you rehydrate it on the stick and then put it on your on your skin on the open skin on the gate that you've just burned on. And how does that feel? So within ten seconds, you're starting to get. The sensations of Cambo in the body. Which is what? The first thing you'll feel, I always tell people, the first thing you're going to feel is a wee skin on that, a wee sting on that site where we put it. And then you're going to start to feel like almost like a heat building in the legs and just climbing up the body, this heat, you know, and people are looking, going, my hands are going red, right? And this is, that shows you that Cambo, because it's a natural medicine, your body recognizes Cambo as being natural. So every cell in the body then opens up, is receptive to it. So you can feel it in every cell of the body. It's like you've sat in hot water and then you can start to feel maybe vibrating. You're vibrating like, you know, those vibro plates you see mm. in the gym. Like, so it'll feel like your body's going, you know, and then it's like you get like a rush sensation. And this heat's building, and then it turns into like nausea. So you get nauseous, and then you've got your bucket there, and then you're going to be sick. And that's the purge. So you start to sweat, and then you'll purge. But before the treatment, you've drank like a liter of water, and you've fasted for eight hours. So the purge is water. The first purge will always be quite clear, and then as you go on, you'll maybe get a second or a third purge inside the 15-20 minute treatment. But as it goes on, the purge gradually gets darker as the medicine gets deeper in and starts getting down into the into the gut, into the intestines, you know. 
and into those low energy centers in the body. So you've heard of like the chakra system and that's just energy. Your body's glands system, endocrine system and the glands is where the chakras are. All the major energy centers where there's major glands in the body. Okay, so when you're getting the energy and the Campbell's cleansing down, you can feel it down there. It's like, Clint, that's helping you out with your root chakra energy, the energy down, lower down in the body. And this is all our anim- animalistic instincts, you know, stuff we go through. And when we cleanse that energy out, you feel so light. Cambo can be a tough experience. It's 15, 20 minutes, right? Because you said when it gets down to that point, it go, it's dark. Yeah, and you're starting to get nauseous. You know, you'll be being sick. Mm. So it's like physically, it's like, God, this is this is like, whoa, feel, I'm feeling nauseous. I'm feeling sick. And then emo- mentally, you're going, oh. You know, it's a real challenge, you know, to keep your mind there and say, right, I'm letting go of this stuff. So before it will set intentions, you know, with people, people come in for different reasons. My reasons was to let go of the addiction. And I always say to people, Camo's great because your foundation for life is your physical body. So how we feel in here is how we see life. You know, if we feel down, we feel low energy, life's going to look more daunting for us. Life looks a lot more challenging, but when we feel good in the body, we feel like we're in balance. It's like, bring it on. We're ready for it, you know? So it's like, Campbell's honestly a brilliant, brilliant medicine. That was the start of my journey, and it gave me that foundation to build on. So then we went in, after Campbell went into ayahuasca. So Campbell's the time. Is it, and when's this? Is this straight, straight like away? Like on the same day. Okay, yeah. You know, so Campbell's like, Camos t- can be tough, and ayahuasca can be tough too. But it's like ayahuasca is like beautiful visuals. You know, it's like a real journey. The psychedelic substances are so misunderstood. The narrative that we've been told for the last mm. whatever amount of years—that whole war on drugs thing. You know, you take one, take a trip of mushrooms, or you take, and it can make you lose your mind forever. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. I've had loads of people, loads and loads of people that have had amazing experiences oh. with mushrooms. I'm not just piggybacking no. American podcasts that no. I've heard. I've got mates who have Bro. legitimately microdosed and taken. I've not. I, I'd like to. I said to my missus like one day, bro, come to I'd like come to, over, bro, anytime. Yeah, I, I'm. It's the feeling of no control is the thing that scares it's, the it's, shit out of me. It's. It's you. You won't have no control. You know, for your first dose, you can. You know, it. It all depends on dosages. But I'm also worried about what I'm going to see. <laughs> You'll be fine, bro. Honestly. Is there a better life out there than me with my four children doing <laughs> no. a podcast, talking crap? Like, what does that journey look like? No, but it's not. A, it's not about a bad. It's not better, but it can certainly enhance the life you have. Mm. What the mushrooms and what any of these psychedelic substances can do, I think, is they, sometimes when we're in the patterns of life, it's almost like a rut, you know what I mean? And we're, everyone's grand, you know, but we're still going through the same thing. And it's like, sometimes when we do like a psychedelic thing, it's, it's or a psychedelic experience, it can open the mind up, opens your heart up more. So you start to have more gratitude for things in life, even small, small things in life. 
you know, more gratitude for all the time with the kids, all the family. You know, it's like life just becomes richer, mm. you know, because you're looking at it with different eyes. It changes your perspective on a lot of things. So we go Campo. Yeah. Uh, so Cambo. Cambo, not okay. Cambo, and then Cambo, ayahuasca. Then ayahuasca. And then to take us through that journey from going from station to station or yeah. event to event, because yeah. surely some people are going to be put off by that feeling. Yeah. It, or is it, no, give me something that's going to make me feel better. Or you you have to fully you're in invest. It. You're in it, bro. Well, I suppose for you it was de desperation, yeah. right? You're in it, bro. Mm. And I was like, God, when I went there, I was like, this is, this is it. This is the last... That, that was where I was at. I was like, this is the last effort now. Because I tried. What was the only? I tried sertraline. I tried. I'd been going. I went to a drug counselor. I was going to this like court every week where it was like a, it was just for repeat offenders with drugs. And they would bring you in. And I, think, I was like, this is the last thing because nothing else is helping. Nothing else helped. And this was the last thing. So. We did that weekend. So we did ayahuasca. We did two nights of ayahuasca that weekend. Mm. And to be honest, the ayahuasca was good, but I was like, oh, there's more. There's more. Like all the hype about this stuff, like everything I've watched about on YouTube about this. And I was like, that, that it was good, but it didn't give me what everyone else is saying. Good, good in what way? And then what did you expect? So how do you take just, that as well? Let's just go through the okay, whole process. So the, the ayahuasca, you're in like, so that night there was 20 people, 20, maybe 20, 20 odd people drinking. Okay. And it's like a big ceremony room with tapestries up and very soft lighting. And there's like the shaman at the top of the room who's serving the ayahuasca. And then his week, group of facilitators and sit around with them so you go up everyone goes up you get a cup and you'll drink it and it is bro it is not the tastes so bad like what so, oh, trying to give us something like old dirty earthy soily river water mm. like but much 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 like just not nice and the, when you drink it it's like like you really gotta you can't keep it down you've really got to try and keep it down and even like the shamans are like try and keep it down for 20 minutes and then you can be sick you know mm. to get it into the body you drink it quick i drank mine yeah i drank my cup and walked back down and sat down and then everyone else are going around the room serving it and i've got my blindfold on and after about an hour i'm like is anyone else feeling it? Or is this, like, what's this? Have I got a done cup, you know? So then I sat for a while longer, and then they were like, does anybody want more? And I was like, yes, I went up, and I got another one. And it got a wee bit of effect. And I was like, oh, I was a wee bit disappointed. The next, the next morning I woke up, and I was like, we just disappointed. Like, I thought it would have been more profound than that. Mm. And then I was like, well, like, just go with it, you know. We'll sit tonight again. Sat that next night, and again, I thought it would have been more profound, you know. And so that retreat f ended. And on the last day, there was a guy, and he was saying he was going over to Colombia in like two weeks to drink yahe, which is ayahuasca. Only they call it yahe in Colombia, which 2 is which is stronger, bro. So I was like, when are you going? Like it was two weeks. I was like, God. 
I'd love to go. I had no money, bro. Like, nothing. I'd spent all my money to go to this retreat. Like, I had nothing after rugby. I had no money. Like, there was nights I was in my apartment, bro, and there was no electric, no gas, no lights on. Like, I was rock bottom. So I was like, God, how am I going to get to Columbia now? So I went home and my mum was like, well, how did you get on? I was like, it was good, but it wasn't as good as what I thought. I was like, but there's a guy heading to Columbia here in two weeks. <laughs> Columbia. And she was like, right. And I was like, I really want to go. And she was like, oh, Ryan. My mum, like, see my mum. Like, my mum, see at that stage, my mum would have done anything for me, right? And she still would, but even at the end, because she's seen, like, I was dying and out. And she goes, I'll pay for it. <laughs> That's what she's saying. She's like, I'll send you to Columbia. Right, they get help, and I went, yeah, bless her. Yeah, and she was like, right, I'll do it. So she went on, and she she booked my flights from Belfast to where? Belfast, Dublin, Dublin, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Bogota. <laughs> like, bro, <laughs> like, what a legend, you know? So we're sitting, and the rest two weeks leading up to that, I was trying to keep everything, you know, stay, like, you know. Was it easy to stay on the path or not? No. Or, no, okay. But I knew I had to because you can't go and drink ayahuasca if you've been taking anything because it can be potentially fatal. And what was the craving? <sighs> like the opiates, bro. Mm. More than anything, it was tablets. Mm. More than anything. Like cocaine, yeah, but like I could get past that, you know. Like cocaine was more of a social thing. mm but like the tablets were just like bump, take a few tablets and just lie there. Mm. You know, that was the escape. So it was the tablets was really hard because I had so much time as well at that stage on my own because I was distanced myself from all these people who had been hanging around with, you know. So it was like really, it was a difficult time. Living in my mom's and then it got to the, the night of leaving for Columbia and I got a taxi down in the Belfast to get the bus from Belfast to Dublin and I remembered the bus pulling up and I was like standing there with my backpack on and I was like what the hell like what am I doing <laughs> this is bad you know and I was like nah just do it just do it just go and I just one foot on the bus and that was me and then a day later in Bogota did this guy turn up? so I was in Bogota for the first two days on my own. Then, what was his name? Glenn. Glenn and this other Scottish guy came. But they had booked a flight from Bogota to this place called Puto Mayo. And I hadn't booked a flight. So I was like, God, I'm going to have to I'm get in the bus. And it was a 16-hour bus journey, bro, through, like, Colombia, bro, through, like, rainforest, over mountains, everything, down to this wee place, Puto Mayo. Wow. Got there. And I remember getting there and my phone had died and I was walking about Puerto Mayo, bro. Like, everyone else there was about four foot tall, you know, because <laughs> they're all wee tiny, like, people in Colombia. And I'm walking around, like, and, like, everyone's just pointing and, like, look at him, you know what I mean? And then, out of the blue, this one person comes over and goes, Ayahuasca? And I went, yeah. How did he know Ayahuasca or not? Like, you're in Cocaine HQ. <laughs> 
And he says, Ayahuasca. He could he feel goes, the energy. He, he feel goes, you knew that. He goes, Ayahuasca. And I went, yeah. And he goes, Ryan? And I went, yeah. And he goes, come, come. So we went and we went to this, like, there was about five houses, you know, wee small things. And that's where we stayed. And the big thing they call a maloka, which is like a big roof just out in the middle of the th- with a fire pit under it. So you'd sit in there. That's where you drink your ayahuasca. And so we were there for about six weeks. Six weeks? Mm-hmm. And we did so much ayahuasca. What did, how else did you do, though? Like Ayahuasca. What did you do in the day? Give me a, like Campbell, a day. I just walk around and chill and sit in my hammock and talk sing, yeah just just connect yeah, yeah like just be there with with everyone and, and the people that are there are they from all parts of oh, the world parts, bro there was like obviously there's like the colombian people there but then there's people come to drink ayahuasca from everywhere what kind of stories like all different bro all different you know but all so much like everyone's just dealing with so much and you know mm. what see with the big powerful thing when you get into these groups and you're like uh, groups where people feel like okay i'm ready to share I'm ready to share something now i'm ready to like tell people some of my journey and bro it's like you really start to realize that everyone's going through the same stuff like there's so much stuff that, you know, it's like allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and like tell someone else, bro, it's so healing for us. It's so much of a weight lifted. Mm. And then it, it helps you understand too that we're all going through all this stuff. We're going through it all together, you know what I mean? So it was like, there's so many stories, but the difference between seeing people when they come away or when they come to one of those retreats or, or a medicine weekend like that, the difference between them when they come and them when they go, you know, is like night and day. But it's not like everybody that goes to these things is going to be like, you know, suicidal or really struggling with addiction. Or Some people are just going to intensify their own spiritual journey. You know that, like, self-discovery? Leave and go of all these labels and everything else that we've been given and actually finding out your own truth really like you know why what what is what do you want from life so yeah so we'll we'll get there and a day would be wake up have breakfast go for a walk maybe swim in a waterfall like swim in the amazon in the river go and pick wood for the fire that night and then sit around playing songs or whatever you know go into the wee town there's gonna be jungle towns go in there go to the market and then every night we would have had like maybe a small lunch and then would have fasted until the night time. And then at the night you again the light the fire and then have this big ceremony. So like it was so different drinking ayahuasca in Colombia than it was in Ireland. Because you're in the jungle, you're in that energy and like the shamans are like powerful, like they know how to work with energy. And I am so the first night drinking ayahuasca in the jungle blew my mind. I was like, this is like, this is like the last time times a thousand. Tell me. So drank the, and it was really thick. It was like, they should call it ayahuasca honey. It was like the honey one. So they'd really can, you know, like boiled it to make it go into like a syrup. So it was really strong. I drank it and I was like, oh, like, 
this it is so bad, right? Went back down, lay down. Blindfold on? Blindfold on, bro. And I just lay there, and it was like literally 10 minutes. I was like, holy moly. <laughs> what? Am I dying? <laughs> like, feeling like completely like my identity dissolved away. You know, and you're looking, your eyes closed, blindfold on, you're seeing like geometric fractals, all different colors. Took the blindfold off, looked, opened my eyes, beams of light flying through the pitch black jungle, like mandalas in midair, like, but constantly changing in the lights and like just all energy, but all the energy that's around us all the time, but we're, we can't see it. Mm. But on this, you're like, you can see reality you know it's everywhere you know and i'm like god and then so i just buckled myself in i just put the blindfold back on lay down like and just went for it um and it, it was so visual and at one stage what i can remember most from that first night was an incredible feeling of just being the whole thing so at one stage, I was like, I went up, like I just left my body and I went up, 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 way, way, way above the clouds. And I could see the whole earth like suspended and I was above it. And then it was like a drop of water out of this cloud and I was the drop, but bro, this was so, I was lying, but my, my spirit was in the sky, like miles up, right? And then it was like a drop of water and the water just fell and I followed. I was the drop of water, right, from the top cloud and I fell the whole way down and just went like right there. Like the drop was me, but it fell right on my third eye, like right here. And I opened my eyes and I couldn't contain the emotion, bro. Like my, all this emotion just started to flood out of my body. Tears. Like, like all that stuff, you know, from the last three or four years, all that trauma, all that abuse that I'd given my body, all started to come out and I started to be sick. And I was like, Ugh, and I was being sick and it was coming out and it was trauma and it was coming out in tears and it was coming out in shakes. And after I was like, I'm brand new. Like I felt that it was like, a, it was like an exorcism. Wow. And it was just gone. That was the first night drinking ayahuasca. And how long are you in that state for? About four hours. <sighs> and then Wild. the next night, right, so went to bed. And and how did you sleep? Bro, great. Like, okay. We were lying there. Like, I was just lying, listening to the sounds of the jungle. And felt, like, it was just amazing. I felt, mm. like, so I felt reborn after that. So the next night, again, we were going on the same routine during the day, right? The next night... Drank my first cup of ayahuasca, had this amazing journey, like beautiful, not as intense as the night before, but just really, really loving and beautiful journey, like amazing visuals. And I got up and I went over and it was a, a wee female shaman. And I went over to her and I was like, uh, uno mas, that means one more, one more. And she was like, or oh, she's smoking a wee pipe. She was like, Okay, have one word. So she poured me one and handed me it, drank it, and then 
within five minutes, I was like, God, I feel sick. Because that's part of ayahuasca is you'll purge as well. So I went over to this tree. I was kneeling down on my hunkers by the tree and I was sick. And when I was standing back up, I had my hip replaced like about three months before. But all those muscles around the hip, because it was a hip replacement, were all slack because I had to like pull them all out of the way. But I was standing up and I put my hand on my knees to push myself up and I pushed my knee across. My knee dislocated, bro. Or no, my, my hip, sorry. My hip dislocated in the middle of the Amazon jungle, like on ayahuasca. And I'm lying, I was lying. I remember just going, because it was really, I was really in it at that stage, you know? Like I was really it feeling was ta- this. It was taking hold. Bro, I was feeling this trip, you know? I was like, God, what's happening? And then I went, I was standing for a second, I went, what happened there? And then I went, shit. <laughs> I was like, shit. And then I just sort of lay down on the, on the ground, you know, like I sort of fell back. And I was like shouting, I was like, that guy, Glenn. I was like, Glenn, Glenn, get over here. And he was like, what's wrong with you? He's from he's from like Dublin. I was like, oh, bro, I've dislocated my hip. And he's like, what? Like, he's like, what have you done? Everyone else in the ceremony, like they're all drinking ayahuasca too. And there's me like lying on the jungle with my hip desiccated, right? So I'm telling Glenn, I'm like, bro, lift it, lift my foot and pull and it'll pop back in. <laughs> oh. And he's like, lifting it and he's like, Kuh. and I was like, oh, fuck, bro, don't do that, don't do that, <laughs> you know? So this went on, bro, for about an hour. We were lying there and we were going, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? The shaman's doing like smoke magic, putting his hands on my hips, you know. And it was taking the pain, they was taking some of the pain away. And then they carried me for it with on a stretcher, you know, to this road and got me in this wee van and got me like I got to this like little like bro, the best way I could describe it would be like someone's garage you know like we had like an old house like an old that's what their hospital looked like and I, I went in there and they put my hip back in and then it was back the next day drinking ayahuasca the next night it was so it was wild wild you know because i was lying there in the jungle floor going what on earth like why is this happened to me here all the way out here you know mm. couldn't happen in belfast sitting at home <laughs> You know, so yeah, it was bizarre, but um, it was an amazing trip. Like the the Iowa the, that trip to Colombia, that was the a big life changing trip for me. I came home from there, haven't taken a tablet, haven't taken cocaine, haven't taken a drink since. Good on you. Just stopped everything, you know, but. Again, what you were saying earlier about the opiates being one of the hardest things to kick. Without ayahuasca, without doing that combo, without doing that journey, I would not be. I wouldn't be off them. Mm. Like that was that 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 was the the catalyst to it. What did the parents say? Like, did they know? Could they see? Yeah, yeah. They were like, my. I went home. My mum was like, "Oh my god, you look different. You look different. You know, just even just looking." You know, you look more alive. Son, how was it? Well, mum, 
fucking sit down yeah. and listen to this. <laughs> what are you here? And like, because I had this, like, you know, like a journal, mm. right? And I was writing down after, you know, after my journeys every night, writing down, like, God, like, I, I'm the whole universe, you know? Because that's what it is. It, it's like, just the experiences, bro, it's like a diff, it's another level. It shows you the real truth of reality. Mm. This is, you know, the illusion. There's no separation at all. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's one dance. This is one thing happening on this level, and we're all in it. Yeah, it is a really interesting space that I, I mean, I listen to a lot of things around it. I find it really, really interesting, especially the military side as well. I hear a lot of stuff around PTSD. Bro. That they've tried so many different things, but when they've tried, when they've tried the hallucinogenics, they've. Yeah. Like bro, microdosed with mushrooms and these things, the like, benefits I, that it can have. Some of the work now that I do, I do with people, right? Some of the stuff now that we're doing is we will do a psilocybin. And how is it? Is that, are you allowed? No. You're not? No. What would happen with your history uh, doing that? See, to be honest, bro, I actually, right, I believe in it. I believe, right, I believe I'm, like, divinely protected for it. Because see the amount of people are coming in and people are changing their life, bro. I had a 50-year-old guy, right? I go down to St. George's Market in Belfast. Um, go down every week to get our veggies. There's an organic farmer there. Helen's Bay Organic. If anybody at home's needing organic veggies, that's where to get them, right? <laughs> Helen's Bay Organic. And there's this guy, and he owns one of the stalls. And... A few months ago, at the start of the year, there was that article in the Irish Times that a guy had written about my journey through rugby and then what the the period after rugby and what I'm doing now. He had read that article, and he came walking over from behind his stall, and he was like, "Bro, I'm so I'm, I read that article in the paper last week." He goes, "I'm so happy to to see you, you know, out the other end of it." He goes, "Cause not many people make it out the other side." And I was like, you yeah, know, no, thanks very much. And he goes, I'm going to give you a shout, you know, because I want to, I, I need this. And so he came in about three or four weeks ago. He came in for Cambo, right, the frog, the, the, the gates, okay. And I was back in St. George's Market there at the weekend, just on Saturday there. And I seen him. And this guy is, looks Bro, a new lease of life. He looked brighter, happier, healthier. He, his physical appearance, like I looked at him and I was like, bro, you look great. And he goes, I feel great. He goes, I haven't had a drink in three weeks. And that was a fella who would have been going to the pub every day. Mm. And he just stopped. He just stopped. You know, because it's a pattern. It's a pattern in the mind. You know, it all starts in here first. So the thought comes and then we act on it. You know, and he says, I've just broken the patterns. And it's amazing, like, you know, it's like, it's, and that's, that stuff's there, it's accessible for everybody. And it's from the land as it's, well. It's, it's the, all natural, bro. I'm nowhere near qualified enough to even go down the route of questioning mm. anything else that, that's out there. Although I do have an opinion that I'm mm. probably not ready to share, but these natural remedies that we're all searching for, and there'll be lots of people listening to this, the rugby pod, the same de demographic, same mm. age, same kind of lifestyle, same diet, mm. bit of training. 
here and there who yearn for the things that are coming to the fore now mm. training which is the easy one outdoors cold water therapy yeah. hot water therapy meditation breathing exercises yeah. all these things where as an athlete i was like what the fuck's all this yeah no chance give me some painkillers yeah give me the gym yeah. Tell me to run through the wall, and I yeah, will. Yeah. But I think now society, more than ever, yeah. more than ever, is yearning for Bro. not necessarily the frog, no. but they are looking for something that is going to make them feel better, that's going to make them feel present. Yeah, that's it. It's the, the culture, bro. It's the way this is society is, like it's cutthroat out there, bro. That, like that rat race lifestyle. You know, and everyone's out there, everyone's like, most people, right, 90% of us get up in the morning and we're in fight or flight mode. Mm. Our central nervous system's in fight or flight mode from the moment we wake up till we go to bed. Every day. It's like that because of the way society is. You know, because you can't rest, you can't take a break. You're in the traffic, you're going to work in the morning, you're, you're in a hurry to get to work. Then you're in work, you've got different deadlines to make. Then you've got to go home, pick the kids up, you get dinner on. And then where do you fit any time for yourself in there? So it's like, that's why all these things are really growing and rising mm. now. Like these things like where, like you say, the breath work, the meditating, grinding practices, journaling, gratitude, bro. Like all these things because the breath work's great it starts to rebalance the central nervous system. Mm. So even by slowing down your breath, say you were to breathe in for two seconds and out for four, or breathe <laughs> in for four and out for eight. I, I genuinely do breathing stuff because I've got yeah. four kids, stress. So, yeah. So, so I, if you do extra long exhales, nice long inhale, that's going to, within two minutes, and this is scientifically proven, your body will start to switch from flight or flight mode into rest and digest. I saw Andrew Huberman doing some of this stuff. Yeah. So naturally, you're sitting, people sitting in their car, sitting at their desk on the computer, they're only using the top 10, 15% of their lungs, only breathing into here. So when we actively purposely breathe down into the belly and take a longer inhale, It's gonna. That's so relaxing. You're automatically now. You're activating rest and digest mode. I do this at home. Yeah, I've I've done a and little it's, bit of this. It's very relaxing because life with the stress and all we've known as well as athletes is Bro. just hammer yourself. Yeah. yeah. So on the what bike, just absolutely yeah. smash it. Then bang, you're into the next thing and trying to get away from that hyper yeah. stress like, energy aggression yeah to try I, I, I mean i am genuinely going through this process now and you know you know a really interesting guy craig white yeah so craig white do you know have you come across yes. him or not yeah so for the listeners ex-british and irish lions yeah. fitness coach i was with him at leicester wasp he's one of the most successful guys similar journey i don't know about his backstory but he's going to come on the podcast anyway we're talking about but he's set up these workshops and he posted one on social media. I think it's Craig White mentoring. And he posted on social media about him doing one. And I looked, you know, naturally you look around, he's like, oh, a few of the lads have come. Mm. So Ian Goff was there, former Wales second wow, row. Yeah. Reese Thomas, who I had in the studio 
he was one of the first guests I had who had a heart attack on a yes, on a bike yes. and he's waiting for a heart transplant carries around like a bum bag with a defibrillator in it that starts his heart what are they called they're not called defibrillators what was it called pacemaker yeah. I might be a defibrillator but he's there he was I a don't Scarlet's player Scarlet's that's the one his he's story a, is crazy he's a big he was a good big player yeah right? his story is crazy like he was a wild man and then his heart he had a heart attack and now he's on the heart transplant waiting list oh. I had him in the studio yeah. and he was talking about it. he was so he's the first one when I've been in the company where he's got similar to yourself he's just gone full noise on one direction like he was going one way yeah. and then he's found himself through doing breath work, meditation, yeah. spirituality. That's what I say to people. I'm like, I'll get up every day. I'm like, it's not the medicine. Like I'm a big, massive advocate for these medicines. These That's what it is. Medicine, that, that's exactly what it is. Mushrooms, they're the medicine. Because they've got such good results, they're the real thing. And are they illegal here? They're legal. They're illegal, bro. Are they? Are they legal they're in illegal. America? No, they're legal in some states in America. And legal in some but this states. This is the thing. It's like, how can you make nature illegal? That's what I always ask. I'm like, God, how can you just? How can somebody turn around and say that mushrooms illegal? You're not like that. Yeah, you're going down a rabbit hole here. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. I'm like, this is crazy. Especially stuff. in this time when all the stuff around the vaccines around bro. there. It's crazy. I, uh, I, I'm not qualified to go down yeah, that see route. Him, see him. I'm but just like, looking at a success yeah. story in front of me now, and you've been through that process, yeah. and you're sm- like, like it, do you have days where you like you bro, feel down, or bro, yeah, do you know like, how to deal with it, bro? Yeah, like this is it because I always say to people, like people, go, you're so like, all the people who come to my events and stuff, they're all like, oh, bro, you're so happy, and I'm like. I am, but that doesn't mean that shit does not happen in life. Of course it does. You know, like, that's life. Life happens. It's like not letting that stuff get get on top of you, you know. And that's why you do, that's why I say to people, like, a daily practice, no matter how small it is, is so important to start your day off, right? So I always say to people, and this is such a big one, see, gratitude like starting your day off with like a, a journal and writing down things that you're grateful for in your life, it's so powerful because it starts to program your mind into looking at the positives in your life instead of looking at the negatives. I tried a bit of journaling off the back of listening to Matthew McConaughey, one of the great voices. Yeah. All right, all right, all yeah. right. <laughs> uh, green lights. Yeah. I've, I've not managed to, to get down the journaling Bro, bit yet. Honestly, like... It's like, don't even, this is because he and I started doing it. I was like, God, what am I writing here? Like, uh, Line outs. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Five man, seven man, six man drive. Oh my God. Oh, geez. Could you remember line outs? Oh. I haven't thought about a line out for all of it. Do you think about bro, rugby or not? No. Because, like, I, I mean, it, it is crazy how life goes. Like, yeah. I'm still involved in rugby. Like, I know everything that's going on. Yeah. Like a flip flop back and forth about the state of the game, like the issues that it's had. But I am still well involved in yeah. the game. Yet we've played against each other for loads. Like you play for Ulster, Bath, yeah. Exeter in the Ireland setup, and you have no- nothing. It's like it's... you have nothing. <laughs> would you watch it? What, what would have been the last game you watched? Ah, uh, God. I remember I flicked one on there. 
maybe in the Six Nations there. My dad was watching it or something, where my dad came over and he flicked it on. What did you think when he, when you saw it? But I remembered it? seeing, it was funny because at that time, they were sending someone off. It might have been Wales, England. But they were sending somebody off for a high shot. Oh, or it might have been Freddie Stewart on Ireland. For sure. the shoulder and uh, went up the ball, hit him in the face. Oh, okay. And I was like, but, and then the guy got redded uh, just in the Six Nations yeah, there. Yeah, I can't think which game Is it was. Young, was he Freddie a younger, younger guy? Yeah. Yeah, it might have been the big game, might have been, well, yeah. all big games, but, but the Ireland-England yeah, game, which yeah. caused a load of controversy on Hugo Keenan. I think so, yeah, I think that was. Shoulder it, hit him in the head. Hit him in the head, but it wasn't intentional, no. but then they sent him off, and I'm like, mm. but that's rugby, you can't be bringing that out of rugby. Like, for me, that this is, is, is mad. It, so that you saw that? Yeah, I saw yeah, that, and that was so funny. You went straight in on opinion. Yeah, because yeah. it was like... I was like, my dad was like, I'm going, what's, what, what's wrong with that? And he goes, but that's the rules now. And I was like, what? What's the rules? Like, you can't what? You know, and I think they've sort of, they're taken away. But again, rugby's so flipping physical. Mm. Like, looking at it now after playing it, I'm like, God, I don't know if I'd want my kid to play rugby now. Mm. It's so yeah, I mean, physical. It, 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 it is really physical. And you know what? Like, that's the most topical thing now is around do you want your kids to play rugby and participation numbers are dropping i'm an advocate for playing rugby like my lad's 12 start secondary school and he's not played rugby for a couple of years he played two years prior we've tried a bit of swimming he's a really good swimmer basketball he loves um it'd be awesome if you'd be a basketball so maybe you'd make the nba i said you're gonna make your dad proud I've said, <laughs> see you courtside. Yeah, you're the best son ever if you used to do that. I love the basketball, but he's all in on rugby now. And me and my wife have had conversations back and forth. Yeah. We're in a really interesting yeah. position now with the game because of these horror stories that are coming out. Yeah, and as well, like it is such a it's like like don't get me wrong, right? I loved rugby. Like rugby was like really was my first love. I started playing rugby. See, when I was in my teenager years, bro, I wouldn't even, if I was seeing a girl and she started to like get too much, like I'd have been like, here, listen, sorry, but she was taking my mind off rugby. Mm. And I was just so hyper-focused on rugby. You know, I think that's a thing with me. I hyper-focus on things sometimes. I can see that. Yeah, (laughs) you know. No matter if it's good for me or not. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, some people have that personality. Yeah. The addictive personality, yeah. and it's good and it's bad, yeah. wherever or not. It's, exactly. It's it's, uh, you it's know, put. So it's exactly it's how you channel it. Mm. You know. So if you're channeling it and the productive things, and it's no problem. Yeah. With the rugby, it's like I feel like looking back at it now. I did love it. I loved every bit of it. Like it was my first love, but I think it was like it got so. It became a job. It became mm. that grind almost, especially with my injuries. Yeah, so you're in pain, as bro. Well. Every day training, bro, for like the last five years of my career mm. was pain. I couldn't do leg weights for the last five years. Mm. Couldn't squat, but they were still running me a plane. Mm. Like it was just crazy. You know, when and I think you, that yeah. took that took a lot of the love out of rugby for me. Yeah, and I can see, you know, it grinds you down. That would grind you down mentally as well. Like looking at it with hindsight, as a young man as well. Like, but people forget what these young men are going through as young. I mean, they're they're younger now when we 
were in our prime, like, as in young, like early 20s. Yeah, it's a young man's game. Yeah, man. it is a young man's game. But what they have to go through mentally as well. And the, the hardest thing is, is what you've referenced there. This was the hardest thing for me. Like I almost, I started to resent the doctors or mm-hmm. the physios. And then I'd be questioning myself. And I've questioned myself now, like whose fault is it that if there's a painkiller or there's an anti-inflammatory or there's an extra session that needs doing, was there real pressure from the coaches and the doctors, Aye. or like, was it your pressure? Or was it your pressure? I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, like, I, I do. Th- I do think that, I f- and felt pressured or embarrassed if you couldn't. I always felt embarrassed if I couldn't train or if I couldn't play or was injured. I felt embarrassed yeah. for what I don't know what Strange, the reason. Wasn't yeah, it? it was because, but there was no mental processes or help to help you manage nah. that when we played. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, in, it, it was, was strange because I yeah. went through that as well. I had those same feelings, like, or say, you just didn't feel like you were fully part of it if exactly. you weren't training. Yeah. Or you'd lost a bit of respect from the boys because you didn't train that there, mm. a bit of respect from the coaches a bit. Or. Yeah. Or even like th- th- there'd be games where like the finals were being played and. I hadn't played in the final, but I played and I didn't feel worthy to be there. Mm. You know, like as oh, in, I like had because you were injured. Yeah, yeah I was, but I had to play. So in order for me to feel worth within the yeah, team, yeah, you would have to. You'd have to be a starter. Exactly, have to be a starter, or at least had influence. Yeah, from off the bench. The bench. Else, it was like I'm, I haven't contributed. I haven't there. contributed, and then I felt like yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah, I shouldn't be there. I'm not part syndrome, of it, like, of course. All them things that went with yeah. it. Yeah, but and, and that's what I'm, this is where the game's going through. Now, Ryan, and a lot of ex-players, their frustrations, their identity that they've lost has turned into resentment to the game. Mm-hmm. And it's going through an interesting period. And, and this is, you know... So, I guess so, I maybe had that, you know? Yeah. Now, now when you're saying it like that. Well, like the, me- thing is, the thing is with your story, though, mm. did anyone reach out to you when you were in the darkest of days? Was there support Players? There? Well, expert, not the unions that you you played even for, bro. Like there was a guy like used to play for Monster Dennis, Den- Denny Hurley. Mm. And he was like he took over, and like Rich Brian, you know Rich, Rick, he was a great guy. Like, and Rich actually still helps me out with stuff now if I need it. You know, like to do with any, um, and doing this insurance thing, like you know, but yeah, like Denny Hurley, like he got in touch a couple of times, but. Like, bro, to be honest, I think it's like, at that time, I wasn't really in the, 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 the mindset to be really, I wasn't helping myself. Mm. Like, I got so much into this rut, I didn't feel like, when you get into these ruts and when you get so far down, the habits and patterns, you start to believe that you're not worthy of anything more. Mm. Like, and that's where I was at. I was like, I had resigned myself off and it was only through the medicines like the I and the Cambo they renewed my energy and let me see things from a different perspective to go hang on like this is not that this is not the end you can do what you want now go and do it go and claim it mm. you know it's not rugby wasn't the only you had now it's over and now your life's over mm. It's not that, like you can go on, and that's a big, that was one of the biggest lessons for me was like, you know, it's never over. See, until we give up, it's not over. You know, you've always, there's always, there's always a bit of life left in you. Yeah. And that is the hard thing that people, unless they've had our experiences, 
might not understand because it is it's two separate lives mm. like it is a completely different life and it covers up a lot of issues yeah. that you might have had as a young boy yeah. a young man and then you go into that environment yeah. and it's just wild fast yeah uh, everything's paid for the, the simple things like your dinners are cooked your clothes Dinner, every, it's like it's like you're a kid still you know uh, and a big yeah. man a big grown-up man's body and everything's getting done for you and look, you're looked after and and like and yeah. you come out and then you're fucked yeah and i think that that is the thing and the unfortunate thing is in this we i feel that we have been the guinea pigs yeah. through fault through design i whatever that is, but it's our generation and slightly before yeah. that have been yeah. not, uh, yeah, we, we've been at the forefront yeah. of, I mentioned even the mental aspect yeah. of the game, but it was non-existent when I was, yeah. at, when I was at Saracens, we had a guy called David Jones who helped us in that space and helped us try and process the one, the transition of retirement but also helping us understand each other yeah. and the other players. And I'm in it. I'm like, who, give, who cares about who feels like this and who feels like what? But looking back, it was the most important Good. thing, but we just never done it. Yeah. Just never done it before. Yeah. Whereas now I know that that's, there's a huge part yeah. of that. And we, the, one of the Australian players, the captain, Michael Hooper, yeah. stood down from, I think it was the championship last year. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this summer tour actually so our autumn their yeah. summer tour you know that you play around yeah. November time and he, and he stood down from playing he, mentally not there his mental health yeah, and he yeah. came out I that's mean, right I remember seeing something who, like that who would have done that back in the day yeah. like no, no, one. no one no one I don't remember anyone yeah. and I think fair play to him for doing that yeah. and, and not being in the right space so I, th I feel like our generation unfortunately but fortunately now for these going forward yeah has shone a light on. Yeah, like, I was actually talking about this earlier, like, that would be something that, like, I would really love to do, is to go in and, like, maybe do, like, breath work or, or some sort of, like, just talking to, like, young players. Because, again, with hindsight, we've lived through it all. And with, like, the mistakes or, or things that I'd been through, not mistakes, I wouldn't change anything now, because everything's added up to put me where I am now, which is I'm in a good place now. So I wouldn't change anything. It's mm. all it's all been valuable learning for but me. But I know what you mean. Do you know? It, it's been that, a tough, it's been, you've been in a tough place to get where yeah, you are now. Yeah. And not as many people yeah. would have had, if you want to call it luck or people in the right place yeah. at the right time yeah. to have pulled you out of that. Exactly. Rut. There was a lot of people along the way, like that have just wee things, you know, support along the way and I think that's what everybody needs but I would love to be able to go in because I know the, the pressures of rugby and the pressures of just being that age in those environments you know and it'd be great you know just I think there's real scope for it even if it's not me I think more more clubs should be getting people in to help look after like the the, the players mental health mm. And help them with coping things to cope better, you know? Like, so, like what we were talking about earlier, the breath work and stuff. Like, that's an amazing tool to have, just to rebalance your body every mm. day, rebalance your central nervous system. You know, let a little bit of that stress go. You know, and it's not hard. 
but it's just letting it's knowledge it's giving them these tools that they can use whatever's you know because there's not enough of that really right now no there isn't and hopefully people listen to this they might yeah, take you bro. up like who knows maybe they will but like you know i've reached out to ulster before um just waiting to hear back from them but that would be great you know hey that might move them on this sounds a bit harsh it's only tongue-in-cheek yeah. it might I know. help them win something with I a bit know, of breath work bro, hey just I give know. them that extra what do they bro, say the one percent bit of breath work bit of visualization yeah. bro it goes a long way you know what i mean yeah well dan mcfarlane's big into his psychology yeah and stuff like that so like it's it's all it's all the mind mm. like there's a guy like there's a book called the the Kabbalion. And it's a guy, um, Hermes. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hermes. No. So Hermes Trismegistus, it's the Hermetic Philosophies. And it's like ancient teachings. And in the Hermetic Philosophies, he talks about the universal laws. Right? And these are non-negotiable. These are the laws that the universe is governed by. And the first one is the universe is it's the principle of mentalism. The, the universe is all mental. It's all mind. You know, so we create our life from the way we think and from the things that we think we can achieve. Mm. So it's all from within, you know, and then another one is cause and effect. So cause and effect is basically like karma. So every action that you've done in your life, everything that you've done before has led you to this point. There is no, everything, every single thing we do in life has an effect on life. Every cause has its, has its effect. Every effect has its cause. So when we start to do things every day, so say it's your journal, say it's your breath work, you do that every single day, that's going to have a positive effect on your life. It has to, you know, and you start journaling down what you're grateful for and you start programming your mind into seeing more gratitude and to being more grateful day to day and you're focusing your energy in the things you want, that's that's taking responsibility, bro, for your life. That's how you're going to, because that's how you're going to see improvements because cause and effect, the law of mentalism, you do those things, it's going to have a positive effect on your life. It has to. Yeah. It's I, science, bro. Yeah. I think as well, it's some people can be overwhelmed, you know, when there's so much stuff. And again, social media is it's it, everywhere now. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. So, social media has its flaws, but there's also a lot of good stuff out there. I mentioned yeah. Andrew Hoopman, I get a lot of, information he's great he he looks great he delivers it well he's got a great voice i mean yeah he's great so well qualified but you pick that up on social media so as in for me on there looking at stuff there's huge positives in it but what i've gathered from this maybe my personality i loads of little bits it's like and then i do nothing you know so i just try and keep it really really simple Simple. and then just add yeah small things and, and 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 simplicity is the key exactly well that's why it's you know when you go i'm sure to these places to the the jungle in colombia yeah it's simple it's so So, simple and maybe that's where you're bringing yourself back to yeah center you rid yourself of all the external issues everyone talks about which are mobile phones and the stresses and the travel and you know, the head looking down the news all these things that can all these external things yeah that are, you know, if we let them, they're gonna take take a take a, an effect on our on our on our on our life. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully, we've given some people, even if it's just breathe in and out. 
How many of them do we need to do? Two minutes of that, is two it? Two minutes, bro. Two minutes. Yeah, I, I, I'll say it you once can again. Do that. I've already done it. Yeah, we can do that and just see how it makes you feel. Yeah. I need to do that with the four yeah. kids. Um, inner evolution. What, that's yeah. Inner evolution. Inner evolution. That's yeah. your that's business the, now. The, the, this is your evolution. Yeah. Your like, centre. I mean, I don't like calling it a, a business, right? But because we're sort of, we're, we're working with, you know, people's, emotions and life you know but like you know of course yeah like it's what i do it it, 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 you know it's how i'm living but i mean whenever like what i'm saying there about john the wee guy from the market you know coming up to me after three weeks and he goes oh bro really turn my life around you know i'm not drinking anymore i haven't drunk in three weeks i'm doing amazing and he looks great bro like that there is like I feel like a millionaire in that moment. Mm. Like, there's no amount of money in the world could buy that, you know? And that's good for your soul as well. Like, that's good for my... Talk about, like, cause and effect and karma. That's good. That's good for my karma, you know? That I'm supporting that guy and changing. And like what you were saying before, it's like these wee small things that you do and you add another one. And then before you know it, after a few months, you've added a few wee small things and all those wee small things come together to make a big change. Adding wee things, adding one of practice and then maybe a couple of weeks later, okay, I'll add something else new now. But it's like what I always say to people who come in to see me for combo or for, you know, a microdose or for breath work or for anything like that. It's not what we're doing in the ceremony. It's what you do after, in between this ceremony and the next ceremony. So it's like how you're living your life. You know, it's like take responsibility for your life. So I always say to people, like, if we can picture in our mind the the most complete whole version of ourselves, so the best version of ourselves that we could be, and what that would look like, and what that would look like for me, for us and our families, And then you start to live your life in alignment with that picture. So anything that's not anything that we're doing, we make all our choices we make daily, we make them in alignment with that, being the best version we can be, you know. And it's all our choice. It's a choice every day. Um, But yeah, like, that's the big thing I'm passionate about now is just letting people make release realize their their full potential mm. like success for me is happiness mm. and being content you know not having a, a billion pound it's like because you see people with all the money in the world and they're not happy so true you know so true and like the happiness is the the, the most important need a bit of money especially in today's day and age yeah <laughs> just to live just to you live need, whatever you do, that you do, means you, money. you do, you do. Like so, money's part of life, God, isn't it? Well, of course. I mean, the dream would be to not worry about it, but like, I think if you can get to a point where there's a certain amount of comfort and you can add these things on bro, top. So like, I always say I would hate to, and I, I genuinely would. Like I look at Conor McGregor, oh, bro, and I, I look he's at the, lost. He's lost. Oh, now, he, needs some, he needs some. He needs some breathing. He needs a bit of in. A bit what of happened, out. To bro? You know. Well, I, he's been. Imagine having that much money. <sighs> Like, yeah, it's, it's, now I see Conor McGregor and I'm like, God. And like, see, if you look at him, like, say you're a wine towards the start of his career, mm. 
he was one of the most driven, focused trailblazers, bro. In in sport, like, in UK and Ireland sport, I can't think of a bigger influence. There's a documentary at the very, very start, mm. right? And he's picks. He's in a hotel room, yeah. and he picks up the secret, mm. and he's reading that book, and he's like, "This is how you manifest," you know. And he manifest. He goes, "I'm manifesting these this whole thing right now," and like. He completely, you know, he's just got like complete one in. He's just mad, but he's got a mirror. I suppose he doesn't need anything now. Well, he said, but that's what I mean. It, it that shows you that money can't. But he's buy. not. He's not content in himself. He's not content, no, because he's a a fighting man. He's had to fight for it, and now he's got yeah. nothing to fight for. So you know, when you're in that cycle yeah. of having to fight, yes, fight, yeah, yeah, fight, yeah. fight, and that is what gives yeah, you that no drive. One, there's nobody to fight no more. There's no one to fight, and he's he's not going to be the fighter he was because to be in that UFC, you've got to be a killer. You've got to you've got to be doing it desperate. every day, and you've got, you've got to be like want it. You've got to be desperate, desperate to feed your kids, desperate yeah. to put a roof over because your head. you see it with the UFC boys. Yeah. The minute they get that success, they get up and then that pff, they're done. In that sport, because there's somebody a lot more hungry coming in. In that sport specifically, boxing's different because you can be skilled. So you look at like Floyd Mayweather, like he had the skill and mm. the ability to fight without really fighting yeah. with more defensively. UFC, yeah, because they're multi-skilled. Yeah, if you're a little bit off or you're comfortable, yeah. you're fucked. And that's why there's only a few that are. Not unbeaten. So yeah. I think John Jones, Francis Ngannou, or the, what's he he's up to? Like, that Jones guy. Well, he's off the rails, but he's back. Is he off the rails yeah, again? No, he's back now. For now, so he's in the heavyweight division. He's, Is he? he had a couple of years out to put on a bit of weight, and then he's looking for his big fight. He against, was he was way off the rails. Oh, he's, he's but he's one of that. Like again, you look deep into his story as yeah. well. That's his personality. Like yeah. he's the greatest of all time yeah. in UFC. But with that. Becomes the he he's was, a wild man. He was they caught God have my like drugs and stuff too. Yeah. And, yeah, drink driving. But like this is it, like it's just there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it around. Especially sports people, you know. Well that's why I when I look at LeBron James, Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, I'm not saying this weekly, I don't know what their backstory is, but they seem clean. Mm. And to do that in the public eye how they've I done like it. LeBron's yeah, like it's crazy. Like he's been around, like and even like Ronaldo and that. Mm. They they've a squeaky clean image. Yeah, they have. Whether or not it's like that behind, maybe it's like maybe they've got like they have super injunctions or yeah. something. Mad, exactly. Though. Yeah. Like because they've got that much money, mm. they could just probably be like, yeah, we're quiet, not dying. Or well, that's what McGregor's apparently alleged. We're not big enough to. Well, we don't need to say allegedly, but we will. But yeah. yeah, interesting. Maybe we can carry on going on. Just give us an insight into how people can get hold of you. Because when people listen to this, if yeah. they come to you, I yeah. want them to say, yeah. Big Jim sent me. Yeah, There's yeah. no code. There's no Big no Jim code. 10 no, to no. get 10% Just off. Big Jim, Big Jim sent, sent me. me. Yeah, so this is uh, my page is Inner Evolution. And what we do there is we do monthly breathwork, breathwork sessions, we do monthly cacao, which is again like it's like another uh, medicine. Uh, it's like a hot chocolate, but we do like manifestation sessions with cacao, and we do uh, different ceremonies with different medicines uh, and retreats that we run, and it's all geared towards um, letting people, you know, bringing people back to the present, 
you know, because a lot of times when we go through stuff in life, we get stuck energetically in that place. So it's just about getting people back to full power and feeling their full potential again and enjoying life really, like, you know, really finding their own happiness. And so, like, yeah, if anybody's interested, give me a follow on Instagram on Inner Evolution. And uh, if you, anybody wants to get in touch, say Big Jim sent you. I oh, know. That, would, that would be great. It would be cool. And, uh, no, thanks very much, Jim, for having me on. It was brilliant. Mate, Thank I've loved both. it. Thanks for make, making the effort to come over for sure. So my next step, so people know, is going to be my breath work. So yeah, in. you gotta come, you gotta come over, bro. I would. I'm going to put pressure on myself to come over. Come over, I bro. Just, you know, I'm probably scared what's going to happen. No, Not you with what be. you're going to. I'm scared of myself. Yeah, like or maybe maybe I'll come over here and do you and okay, well, few get, others. get flats and stuff. Yeah, now. we'll get goody as well. Get, get them now, bro. Yeah, we'll do one. We'll do it. So I'm going to start with the breathing in. That's it. Extra long, bro. Ryan Caldwell, absolutely loved it, brother. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.